Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Genesis. My name is Jonathan Chan. I'm so glad that you can join us today as we embark on chapters 13 and 14. But before we begin, customarily, we start off with a video clip. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this clip, and we'll be right back. What is that noise? Uh, the common folk aren't exactly falling in line. There's a resistance trying to knock down the front gates. Tell me about yourself, Scourge. Well, me dad was a stonemason, me mum right, was a yeah, seamstress. Right, yeah, I'll just, I'll stop you there. What, what I meant was, what's your ambition? I just want a chance to prove myself. Recognition. When I was young, every great king had an executioner. Not just to execute people, but also to execute their vision. But mainly to execute people. Still, it was a great honor. I was Odin's executioner. And you... The executioner of vision. What's your life vision? What do you want to see your life culminated into when God calls you home? When you pass away, breathe your last breath in the presence of God, what do you want the culmination of your life to look like? We all know that life is an ongoing journey, but where are you going? Vision drives us, right? Vision is supposed to move us. Vision continues to kick us in the butt and tell us to stop procrastinating, stop dreaming, and just go. Vision is what drives me to wake up in the morning and be grateful that I have another day to pursue my vision. Vision informs my values. Vision informs my ethics. Vision informs my choices and my goals. Vision tells me that work is just the means. Money is just the means. Family and relationships are just the means to get to my vision. Vision also gives me a perspective on how I see suffering and prosperity. They are just the means toward reaching my God-given vision. My God-given vision defines who I am, basically. So what is your God-given vision? What does it look like? In this episode, as we explore Genesis chapter 13 and 14, the author helps us to answer three questions about a God-given vision. First, we have to go back to chapter 12 and answer this question. What does a God-given vision look like? Now, granted, each of us have a different God-given vision, but there are three crucial elements that differentiate a God-given vision from personal ambition. Second, in chapters 13 and 14, how do we keep our focus onto our God-given vision? And lastly, how does this God-given vision inform our lives, especially in our decision-making? Let's begin. Now, we have to blast back to chapter 12 to learn more about what differentiates a God-given vision with personal ambition. We learn that God gave Abram his vision for him. 
What was it? Well, let's do a quick recap. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 and 7. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who will bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is quite a vision, right? God gave Abraham a vision, a grand vision, that Abraham will be a great nation, blessed by God, meaning God will be with this nation and Abraham's name will be great. Not only that, but all nations will be blessed through Abraham's nation. That Abraham and his nation, his descendants, will usher the entire world into God's presence and be blessed and be called God's children. He also told Abraham how to pursue this vision. Quite simple. Trust and obey God. So immediately, we know three crucial elements about a God-given vision that differs from personal ambition. The first crucial element of a God-given vision that differentiates it from a personal ambition is actually, I'll call it, the core, the central core. There's a general global vision that God has for all of humanity. Yes, vision has nothing to do with you or I and our self-interests, career aspirations, or financial goals, because that's temporal. God's vision, first and foremost, has a lot to do with his creation and humanity and the redemption of it. He desires to see his creation, including you and I, be in his presence once again, to flourish and to live the fullest potential that he has created all of us to be. We are to be in perfect communion with God. And this, this crucial element is what we call blessed. This is the foundation and central focus of, our, of each of our God-given visions. Without this center, this core, this global vision of God's, our vision would become self-serving and self-centered ambitions. Therefore, our central core should be focused on, primarily on, God's redemption of creation and humanity. Now, the second crucial element is a covenantal one. Notice that Abraham had to obey God to go when God told him to. Abraham had to have faith in God by trusting and obeying God. When Abraham is faithful, God promised Abraham that he will enable the vision to come into fruition. When we have faith in God, as in trusting and obeying him, he will provide you and I with the means and direction to achieve our vision. This second element is quite simple. It's a covenantal one. Don't trust and obey God. We will lose sight of our vision. And instead of being a blessing to people, we will be a curse to those around us. Which coincidentally happened to Abraham when Abraham went to Egypt and brought calamity onto Pharaoh by lying to Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister. But that wasn't really what caused the calamity, was it? No, it was the breaking of the covenant. 
Abraham freaked out because of a dreadful famine, and instead of remaining faithful in God, he resorted to go back to his usual habit. He broke the covenant and went to Egypt when times were tough. This covenantal element calls us to have faith in God through our trust and obedience to him. Now, what's the third crucial element of a God-given vision? It is summed up like this. God wastes nothing. Abraham was already a successful leader, a smart businessman, a pragmatic strategist, and later we will see he is also a great military leader who can lead armies and fight if he needed to. His core values included caring for his people and also maintaining good relationships. He was a family man. What does this mean then? Well, for us, whatever skills, talents, acumens, and God-given values you and I have, God will use them and not waste them. He may give us other abilities, but he will never waste the ones he already given to us. In most cases that I've observed, it's usually the latter that occurs the most as opposed to the former, i.e. God will use whatever is given to us already as opposed to giving us extra abilities. The values that we are passionate in, the things that make us unique, like the Myers-Briggs or Taylor Johnson personality attributes we have, the skills, abilities, and other acumens we have acquired will not be wasted. In fact, this third element is a very pragmatic one of our vision. It actually helps us to determine our God-given vision. Our God-given vision is when our passions, our values, and capacities intersect within the confines of the previous two crucial elements of faith in God and God's redemption of the world. So let me say that again. Our God-given vision is when our passions, our values, and capacities intersect within the confines of the previous two crucial elements, which were faith in God and God's redemption of the world. Abraham's passion is to see God's global vision come into fruition. He wanted to be part of it. His values was family and peacekeeping. And we know that he had great faith in God. Bring that all together with his skill set and capacities. It is no wonder he was given such a huge vision by God. He was the perfect choice for the job. God could have chose Job. He could have chose Daniel. Um, not the Daniel that we are, no, we are familiar with, but the other Daniel. He could have chose Noah. But he chose Abraham because he didn't want to waste anything. God wastes nothing. What is my God-given vision, you ask? I'll share a little bit of it near the end. But right now, let's begin chapters 13 and 14 and continue on with the two altar passages in chapter 13. How do we keep our God-given vision alive? Here, let's start with chapter 13. So Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. Now, over to verse 16. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, 
so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can be counted as well. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Why do we worship God? And why does Dan, why do Dan and I encourage you to worship God as frequently as you can and not just Sundays? If you recall back in chapter 12, once Abraham stopped worshiping God, i.e. build an altar, he forgot his God-given vision. Why did he stop? Well, life happened. Famine happened. Trouble happened. He got scared and went into solution mode while forgetting his God-given vision. Because if he remembered his vision, he wouldn't have went down to Egypt. But instead, like all of us, life happened. He didn't worship God and forgot his God-given vision. Fortunately, Abraham was a quick learner. What does he do here in just one chapter? He worships God not once, but twice. And the interesting part about this is when he worshiped God. And it is when he worshiped God, we can learn something from Abraham. The first time he built his altar and worshiped God was after the author mentioned that Abraham was really, really rich. So what can we learn from Abraham? Not only do we have a tendency to forget our God-given vision during times of trouble and the ongoing busyness of life, we also have a tendency to forget our God-given vision when things are normal or successful, or especially when we become wealthy. Why? Because our human tendency is to equate our success with our own abilities and efforts. We forget to acknowledge that God is really the one who enabled us to have success. Why else do we complain when the government tries to take more, more money from us through taxes, duties, or whatever? It's because we equate our success with our own abilities and efforts. Abraham knew that whatever he did, whatever he had, he knew that he had to attribute it to God. And he knew his tendency was to forget God and his God-given vision, case in point in Egypt. And so what did he do? He worshiped God right away. After when the author mentioned that he was very rich, he worshiped God, called on the name of the Lord, which meant in Hebrew to offer his everything to God and attributing everything he had to God. Now, the second time he built his altar and worshiped God was after his nephew, Lot, left him with nothing but desert. And Lot took the fertile land that looked like Egypt. Here's the passage just before the second altar worship of Abraham. It's found in verse 10 of chapter 13. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, which was completely desert, by the way, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked 
great sinners against the Lord. Keep that in mind. What can we learn from Abraham here with the second time he worshipped? Well, ever felt that you missed out on something because you stood firm on what you believed in? Ever felt that you were screwed from something because of what you believed in was, is right and you stood firm on your values? Recall Abraham's values. He valued relationships. He was a family man. And he valued peace amongst his brothers and sisters. His values were threatened because of strife between his nephew's people and his people. Here, take a look at verse 5. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. So the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. It got crowded, basically. At that time, the Canaanites and the Pesazites were dwelling in the land. They were watching this, by the way. They saw what was happening. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, because people are watching, and also, these are my values. And between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. See, Abram, for the sake of keeping his relationship in peace with Lot, he gave up his right to choose first and let Lot choose first. See, who was the older one here? Who had the right to choose which land first and foremost? It was Abraham. He had every right to give the desert land to Lot. But Abraham stood firm on his values, on his God-given values, believing and trusting that God will honor what he did. He worshiped God by building an altar after this situation to remind himself of his God-given vision. Abraham knew that his God vision encompassed his God-given values. If he neglected his values, the God-given vision would collapse. And he didn't want that to happen because, hey, he was a fast learner. Remember his goof up in Egypt? But it was painful to lose the fertile land. I'm sure all of us have felt what Abraham felt when we missed out on something by standing firm on what we believe in. Abraham lost the fertile land, and all he was left with was nothing but desert. And that's when Abraham worshipped. He built an altar to worship God and reminded himself of his God-given vision after losing out on something because he stood firm on his values. And not only that, but God showed up literally in his worship, reminding Abraham of his God-given vision found in verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot has separated from him, lift up your eyes, God told him, and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Yes, including Lot's land. When we live a life of trust and obedience to God, sometimes we will lose out or miss out on opportunities that the world tries to convince us that we need. It's at these moments when we are tempted to lose sight of our God-given vision. It's at these moments when we need to worship to allow God to lift up our eyes again and see his vision for each of us. Let's move on to chapter 14, because here's the question. What happens if we neglect and lose sight of our God-given vision and succumb to the path of least resistance or to take advantage of opportunities that the world convinced us we need while compromising our values. 
What happens if we do that? What happens if we neglect and lose sight of our God-given vision? Let's go to chapter 14, verse 12. They also took Lot. Now, they meaning the bad kings who took over the city of Sodom. They also took Lot, the son of Abraham's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and went their way. Then one had escaped, came and told Abraham the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshgal and of Aner. These were allies of Abraham. When Abraham heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them. Him and Sarah were busy and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Just kidding. They hadn't had a kid yet. This is just probably his relatives or he, his entourage. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Haba, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. The author told us that Lot and his whole entourage lived close to Sodom at the end of chapter 13, right? Just close to it. How on earth then did Lot get captured when Sodom was captured? Because, the author tells us, Lot was in Sodom now. Notice that when we lose sight of our God-given vision and succumb to the path of least resistance, or take advantage of opportunities contrary to our God-given values and our God-given vision, we get drawn deeper into sin. Sodom was described as sinful, evil by the author earlier in chapter 13, and we will later know why they were really evil. But the principle we can draw from this passage is that Lot was now dwelling in sin because he lost sight of his God-given vision. If you recall, when Abraham and Lot were chatting, Lot looked up on his own and saw what he wanted to see. Abraham was told by God to look up. He didn't look up at all, but Lot did. Lot looked up and saw what he wanted to see. He, being the nephew, should have responded to Abraham with head down and allowed Abraham to choose first. That was their culture. In his culture, Lot should have bowed down even the lowest of the low and not lifted his eye at all until Abraham chose first. However, sure, Abraham offered it to Lot, but Lot should have valued relationships as well, and he should have honored that relationship and reciprocated with a response of humility. But instead, immediately, Lot looked up and sought after what his heart desired. That's how we lose sight of our God-given vision. It's when we forget that our God-given vision also entails our God-given values. And when we neglect our vision, we start dwelling in sin and suffer the consequences. Let's move on. Verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Again, another lesson on how our God-given vision stays intact. 
At the height of success and praise, a brand, instead of demanding more and wanting more, instead of thinking to himself that he should be rewarded and have the right to get rewarded since he's the one who won the battle, he gives a tenth of everything to God through Melchizedek. Generosity and holding our possessions loosely while being generous and disciplined in, our, in giving our possessions back to God keeps our God-given vision intact. But also, at the same time, it was Abraham's God-given vision that informed him to do what he did to tie through Melchizedek because his vision called him to be a blessing to others. And what can he do to practically express that? He gave a tenth of his possessions to Melchizedek towards God. Let's move on. Verse 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abraham rich. I will take nothing but that the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anna, Eshkel, and Mary take their share. So how does our vision guide our decisions? Notice here that Abraham was given a choice to give up people and gain more material possessions or keep his people and forego material wealth. Two choices. To give up people and gain more material possessions or keep his people and forego the material wealth. That was... The two choices, that were the two choices from the king of Sodom to Abraham. Now, Abraham's vision was about people and the flourishing and the multiplication of God's people. The vision entailed a people being blessed by having God's presence among his people. Therefore, no matter how attractive Sodom's king's proposal was, Abraham's vision enabled him to make the right choice, the choice according to God's will. So, some of you may ask, what's my God-given vision? What is John Nathan's God-given vision? Well, one word. Like Hella from the video clip, I am an executioner, but not an executioner of people, an executioner of vision. I believe that my God-given vision is to enable others like you to execute your God-given vision, to help you figure out your God-given vision. Each day, I hope that I can be a blessing to people by helping them achieve their God-given vision. When my abilities, acumen, talent, passion, and values intersect in light of God's redeeming work and his global vision of redeeming humanity and creation, I get this vision that I am an executioner. And in order for me to put into practice, I, I serve people like yourself. And when I do put it into practice, I can see more of who God wants me to become. I see my vision, the God-given vision, slowly but surely come into fruition and into fullness. You can say that I become fuller of who God made me to be and further materialize what God's executioner looks like. Hence, I value relationships, 
but I also desire to mobilize relationships to execute someone's God-given vision. My relation to my wife, I desire her to achieve her God-given vision, and my daughter as well. I want to help them execute their vision. So, the question for all of you today is this. What's your God-given vision? Have you thought about it? May you pray and have God bless you with his vision for you. And if you need any help, allow me to help you as well. Give me a call, text me, email me. I would love to pray alongside with you to help you, to guide you, to figure out your God-given vision. For it is a God-given vision that drives us. It is the God-given vision that defines who we are. Amen.